Welcome to Just One Q. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders about the latest trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each episode, I ask just one question tied to current events. The goal is to leave you with the tools that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. So we know that when it comes to the work of DEI, there is no one size fits all approach. There is no magic solution. It requires leaders who are willing to challenge the systems of oppression that exist within their organizations, invest in training, review current policies and practices, ensure that there's a diversity of voices within their companies and that there's equity amongst their employees and a true feeling of inclusion. And this looks different depending on each company. That being said, though, there are some fundamental ways that organizations can start to make these systemic changes and to embed systemic practices that will lead to sustainable change. So for today's question, I'm asking how can leaders and organizations start to think about making their DEI practices sustainable? And to answer this question, I'm joined today by Kwabana Marcus Collins. Kwabana, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Dr. Horn, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know we've been talking about getting here for a while and you know it happened when it was supposed to happen. So grateful to be here. Absolutely. Um, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Kwabana. Kwabana Marcus J. Collins is a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging professional, holding several certifications in DEI, marketing, and leadership, two degrees, and a lifetime of experience. Kwabana has been an advocate for DEIB in a professional capacity since 2008. A product of an extremely diverse household, Kwabana became connected to learning about cultures. As a self-proclaimed confused kid, Kwabana has worked diligently to help create environments where everyone can have a place of psychological safety and where they feel supported to achieve their highest potential. Having come from a multi-ethnic, multicultural environment and having the opportunity to travel to 10 countries in one semester with college students from around the world has given him a unique perspective that very few others in the world have. He has studied DEIB best practices for the past seven years and continues to gain new information from leaders around the country. Kwabana is also a community speaker, an advocate, and proud member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, the first of the college fraternities created for African-American men. Kwabana is a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He holds a BA in secondary education and history from Lake Forest College and earned a Master of Education in Cultural Foundations of Education from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. That's quite the, that's quite the bio. Oh, um, <laughs> I always love reading these because it's so interesting to see people's backgrounds and how people sort of came to do this work. And I think one of the things that was really interesting and why I wanted to have you on the show is that you have an approach to DEI that is really meant to be sustainable and is meant to start helping organizations to address these systemic issues. So I wanted to, to turn it over to you because I want to give everyone an opportunity to hear what you have to say. Right. Thank you, Dr. Horn. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of times leaders nowadays are trying to simplify things. And I've always operated that way just because it's, it's easier and you know, probably earlier, you know, high school, early years of college, you want to sound really smart. But as you get older and, you know, as things evolve, you start to say, well, I don't need to sound smart. I just need to be able to have impact. And what I do, you know, put out there, you know, people can understand it. You know, even in the days of newsletters, I mean, newspapers, you know, those are mostly gone nowadays. But, you know, they wrote those newsletters in an eighth grade education level specifically so all people you know who have at least had the eighth grade education can read the newsletter. So 
what I've done is tried to create that same concept as it pertains to DEIB. I was actually at a conference this past Friday and there was a new phrasing or order of all the DEIB letters and, and there's an organization that is now using Debbie. So, Interesting. So diversity, equity, belonging, and inclusion. And also empowering, you know, the women's movement in even just that name as well. So that was that was interesting as well. But I, I like to use what I call the five R's. Mm-hmm. Try to keep it very simple. Recruitment, retention, reputation, representation, and resources. You know, every organization and every person within every organization is on their own journey. And, you know, it's kind of like the old school books, choose your own adventure. You know, Mm -hmm. if you if you already made it this far, you know, you may need to skip to this page. And so it's not a linear path. There are multiple things. It's a multi matrixed uh, journey. A lot of the concepts, even within my five hours, are going to have overlaps. That's why, you know, it's not a check the box thing. You know, it's a journey with multiple layers happening simultaneously and then some things based on if you've read the book, The One Thing, which talks about, you know, putting things in line. And if you put things in the right order, things will start to move further and faster and have a stronger impact in the end. Um, And so, you know, when we think about recruitment, there's so many different things that drive recruitment, especially from a diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging process. So when you think about recruitment, a lot of times professionals will either in HR or TA, you know, they'll do what I call the post and pray. Mm. Post and pray with the A. So it's they'll post a job and they'll pray that the right person has the time to read the job description, pray that the words in the job description don't turn them off from the position, pray that they're inspiring enough to make them want to apply, and then pray that they have the time to apply before the job closes, and then pray that they're the right person for the job. That's a lot of praying. That's um, a lot of it. <laughs> then, unfortunately, some HR departments and some recruiters, that's all they have the capacity for. Yeah. And when you do that, you're really relying on the brand of that organization. And usually, if they have consumers of some sort, they're relying on the consumer brand, not the employer brand, right? Right. which are two very different things. And I'll talk a little bit about the employer brand in a minute. And then you have post and pray with the E. And so more like the lion or the tiger, the apex predator. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds a little aggressive, but it's really about going out and seeking the people that you're looking for. It's kind of like fishing. A lot of times and historically organizations will say, well, cast a wider net. Right. But if you're in the same ocean, you're going to get more of the same. So instead of casting a wider net, go to a different pond or a lake or lagoon. Sometimes, you know, you might be able to get more with less Mm. because you have a concentrated group that has more of what you're looking for as opposed to just going to the same organization and trying to talk to more people. Most organizations don't have that type of capacity from a recruiter, talent acquisition professional standpoint. And so the other thing that we have to understand in this recruitment process is we have to understand where we are. Hmm. Can't just jump into it and say, Hey, we're going to go to every HBCU. We're going to go to now, but we're going to Nesby. Well, does your tech team need people from Nesby or do they need somebody from Sweet? 
So at first we have to look, dig deep and understand where our nuances are in our organization, but by department, because most departments don't look exactly the same depending on the field. Right. Um, there are some fields that are very male dominated. So I'm going to focus more on women and along with that women from different backgrounds if I'm missing that demographic as well. Now, it's not to say that I'm going to discriminate against, you know, men or white men or straight white men or cisgender straight white men. It means that my job as a recruiter or the organization's job as a recruiter is to fill the pipeline with an equitable group of professionals so that there is a chance for us to have a highly qualified uh, candidates from all different walks of life. So again, what I like to do is more of the post and pray, but even more, I would suggest that there's other ways to create an employer brand that draws the right candidates to yourself. Yeah, I think so, that's really important, right? Um, absolutely. Especially if, if in the past you have a reputation of sort of, you know, not necessarily hiring folks from diverse groups. Right, exactly. I mean, when, when you think about in sales, you know, if I want to capture a new market, then I'm going to create products for that market. And then I'm going to market my goods and services in that market. So why not do the same with recruitment? Mm -hmm. If I want to tap into a new market, I create new products, i.e. new recruitment strategies, i.e. maybe events that are particularly targeted towards the markets I'm looking for. And then I implement it that way. It's, again, the hiring managers, they don't have anything to do with the DNI hiring, diversity hiring, except for removing bias. Right. Like that, their main job as in the recruitment process is to remove bias and look for the best candidate. The, the really the, the lion's share of the work is on the, the HR and, and talent acquisition teams. And then, you know, building different pipelines, potentially, you know, doing pipelines at HBCUs or organizations like NAVA and SWE and NSBE, um, Haku, things like that. But again, that's that's a part of the overall process. It's not just do one of these things and you're good. Right. You know, you also have to understand what your um, team looks like. You know, well, I'll talk about that in a, shortly, but this is one of those places where the, there's an overlap between representation and recruitment because mm -hmm. if you're recruiting, you know, at these organizations and you can't find somebody within your organization that can culturally identify with that community, that says a lot to a candidate. Right. So, and then obviously we don't want to spend a whole lot of money and time, you know, throw, you know, let's just throw out a, a round number, a million dollars on talent acquisition specifically to get diverse candidates and then, they turn around and leave, you know, which goes to the, the second R, which is retention. Right. As I have gone over this over the years and I started a, a small staffing agency back in 2016 and a lot of the research that I was trying to find out, like, what's the benefit of having a staffing agency? Well, the problem is when we lose people, especially the higher levels you go, you're, the cost to an organization could be up to 250% of that one person's salary. Wow. And so if you've got a, you know, let's say a $200,000 salary position, it's going to cost, what, 400000 
five hundred thousand dollars to is going to cost the company that much money. Mm-hmm. Between the the product that they won't be turning out, between the leadership, the training, the onboarding, the recruiting, the staffing agencies, you know, the standard is twenty five percent of that salary. So that's just upfront right out of the gate. But then you have all the other things that go along with it. Um, you have, you're gonna have to pay an interim at the same time while you're looking. And if it takes 90 days on average to fill a higher level position, then you're paying somebody an extra salary, you know, on top of that. So the, the costs really get significant from a, from a turnover standpoint. So again, if you if you spend a million dollars on getting them and all of those people leave, you know, that's a, what, a billion dollars at that point. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, organizations, when, when we talk to folks, it's like, well, we've, brought in diverse candidates or diverse hires right. we can't keep diverse hires yeah. and, and you know and and you're sort of talking about this this the mm-hmm. the you need to focus on what what does retention look like and Absolutely. so so you know what are the things that organizations need to be doing as if they mm-hmm. want to retain the diverse hires yeah so I, I i have this idea of six main drivers of retention so mm. that your cultural engagement your culture and engagement. So in order for seeds to grow, there are a few things that you need. You know, if you're sowing seeds, you're going to need time. You're going to need fertile soil. You're going to need cultivation and you're going to need some nutrition, which is your sun and your water. Now, it doesn't matter if I give it sun, water, time. If the soil isn't fertile, nothing's going to grow. Right. So I need to make sure that the soil, that's why we, they have fertilizer for plants, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not plant necessarily, it's for the soil that that plant is growing. And so you, we have to make sure, organizations have to make sure that the culture is a psychologically safe space. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, an added weight and tax for somebody to be the only one in the organization or only one in a team where they're often seen as a representation of all people that aesthetically look like them right that's a lot you know that's a lot of weight not to mention all the stereotypes types that they have to try to disprove all while actually trying to do a job you know now is organizations are there and somebody's got has to be the first right but organizations can also develop a strong allyship program hmm. and there's an article that was put out a couple of years back by the muse at themuse.com on seven work ways to be an ally in the workspace. And, you know, I was working for with an organization and that particular organization did not have a whole lot of diversity. And it was somewhat hard to be able to connect the diversity ideas all the time because there weren't people that were diverse in the team. So there was no opportunity to create those diverse perspectives. And so we started to implement more of an allyship focus for the initial six months or so and really pushed allyship. And one of those things, first, the allyship is a verb. Mm, yep. it's, it's an action word, right? So you can't be passive and do nothing and call yourself an ally. But there are ways to do them that's a little bit more comfortable for people who may be new at this. And so one of those ways is being a scholar ally. You know, join a group, sit in the back, listen and observe. When I first started to learn about the Latino culture, 
I started off in it really learning from because I saw some people dancing salsa and I was like, oh, that sounds that's that's really cool. I sat in the club for like two years just observing the nuances. Um, there were things that I didn't understand, like, you know, the kiss that of greeting that is given, you know, in the Latino community. And the fact that there was one man dancing with another man's woman and they was OK. Those are things that in, in my previous experience were not OK. Right. And so I was an ally in that I just needed to learn and just be quiet and learn until I understood and started to get some allies within that community to teach me, to vouch me. But it had to be I had to create authentic relationships and that takes time. Yep. So that's one of the, the key drivers, I would say, empowerment and value. Employees need to know that they have the power to contribute in meaningful ways to an organization. Again, allyship allows you to do that, being able to say, hey, Dr. Horn, I haven't heard anything from you. Do you have any thoughts? Or making sure that the environment says, hey, this is a space where everybody is welcome and encouraged to share their insights, even if it's completely different. I want to hear something different because if we don't have friction, that means we're not going to be able to grow. Right. We have to be pushed comfort. Who in here can make this conversation a little bit uncomfortable with a different idea that might be contrary to what we're doing? There's a book called, it's a leadership book by Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. And he also has another book called Death by Meeting. And in those meetings, he talks about everybody comes to a consensus. He said, okay, we're not done yet. We need somebody to poke a hole in what we just said. Because if we all agree 100%, we might be missing something. Right. And, you know, again, that goes into that diversity of thought. You know, if we're all of the same mindset and our whole team has the same upbringing, same background, same even organization, then we're falling into groupthink, which mm-hmm. means that's only one experience and one perspective. And there's probably 350 degrees of perspective that we're missing. So again, making sure that organization values those types of things and making that a part of the culture itself. The third one is professional development, making sure that developing employees shows that the company is invested in their success, not just in what they can do for us. Right. Everybody in the back of their mind has that whiffum factor in the back of their head. It's natural, it's human, you know, whiffum as in what's in it for me. Um, you know, it's, it's how you develop relationships with other organizations. Like we know there's other people coming to talk to them. So what's in it for them? And where do we add value? Where do we have some synergy where there can be a win-win situation, especially in a business situation? And then people want to see impact to the organization. The work that employees are working on for over 40 hours a week, in many cases, you know, up to 60 hours a week, it needs to have meaning to them. Yeah. There's a another book called Traction, and it talks about within these organizations, and especially when we think about retention and people don't quit companies, usually they quit leaders. Yeah. And so the concept of do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? So GWC. Yeah, tell me about more about that. So the book talks about, it's really about um, organizational change. And when you're moving into this new space of DEIB, everybody may not 
be on the same page. So we need right. leaders to have those conversations with those who are on the ground level all the way up through the leadership. Do you get it? Do you get the change that we're going through right now? Do you see the vision of what we're trying to do? Do you want to do this? Do you want to be a part of it? Sometimes you you understand it, but you just it's just not for you. Mm-hmm. And organizations and people need to understand where they stand in that space. And the last thing is, see, do they have the capacity? So the thought is, if you have two of those, then we can move forward. If you only have that you get it, but you don't want to do it and you don't have the capacity, it's time to look for a different space. So maybe maybe if you're in finance, maybe we move you over to operations. You know, it's not to say that they're gone from the organization, but maybe they just need to move and pivot to where they can be successful with the organization. Now, typically, if you have two, if they get it and they want it, they just don't have the capacity, we can train them. Right. They get it and have the capacity, but don't really want them. There's a limited time frame for them to be there. Right. And if they want it and have the capacity, but they don't quite get it, we just need to have some more conversations and, and explain it a different way. Again, we're talking about diversity mm-hmm. of thought, diversity of understanding. Neurodiversity is something that it is really garnering a lot of attention nowadays. And it's for good reason, because it's something that transcends all the other things, because some people just have different ways that their mind works. And if they just still don't get it, we need to address that and find a different way to get that information to them. And the last two is just vision alignment, which again gets to that get it um, and and opportunity for advancement. You know, being able to know, hey, there's a space for you here. And giving clear understandings. Uh, I've had conversations with professionals who are in mid to lower upper management and they would have conversations with their managers and the managers were not giving them the things they needed to get to the next level. They would just say, just keep doing what you're doing. Right. That's not constructive feedback for somebody who is trying to understand how they, you know, move forward. Cause if I'm doing everything I need to do now, then why am, why am I still where I am now? Right. Yeah. Making it a real opportunity for advancement. I think, Earlier this season, I talked with, and, and we both know Florence, who talked about yep. the latter approach of, of talent management mm-hmm. and actually just creating opportunities for advancement within organizations. Mm-hmm. For folks who are listening, you can go listen to to the episode with Florence. Mm-hmm. She brought a lot of really great ideas around how you can incorporate DEI into talent management. But Absolutely. Yeah, Florence is, is, is phenomenal professional. And then so getting into the fourth one, which is representation, which has an impact in multiple different ways. Again, I talked about the recruitment side of things. Yep. You know, if you can't show up. How do you show up at career fairs or job expos? How are you showing up when you're bringing people in? You know, what does your interview uh, team look like? You know, if I don't see anybody that looks like me, I remember having an interview with a bank for a diversity role. And the entire committee was white women, probably in their 50s. That wasn't a good representation of any of diversity in any way. Everybody literally, you know, every one of them had blonde hair. Every one of them was about the same age and they were all in HR. And so they didn't even have any difference from, you know, some of the partners that this position will work with. So again, how are we representing from a candidate experience internally? How are we representing? So There are some statistics that talks about human dynamics and how people's personal networks have an impact on, you know, 
their experiences. So overall, the social networks of, of whites are 91% white. And black professionals is typically around 80%. And Hispanic Latinos, actually the information says that black networks are 65% black and Hispanic Americans or Latinx community is 46% Hispanic. And so if, and then this also goes back to that recruitment side, right? Right. If I'm doing referral programs and all my network looks like me, then who am I going to refer? And if the majority of that organization is, if 80% of the organization or 90% of the organization is white, you're going to get mostly white referrals. Right. Which historically referrals are the best way to hire because you get the best candidates typically. Again, so how is your representation ultimately affecting the ability to even have a, a strong referral program? And then your external representation, you know, are you bringing people to fairs? When you're doing promotions and commercials, what does that look like? One thing you don't want to do is make this false truth, you know, when you're marketing, you know, just like your organization is the HBCU of corporate America. Right. That, you know, that's not what you want to do. I think it's okay to have those videos, but to make sure that it's clear that this is a video specifically on this group within this organization. This is not a full, complete representation of what your experience will be as, say, a member of the LGBTQ community. So it's not to say that every person that you're going to work with is an ally or a member of the LGBTQ community. That video is specifically to their experience within the organization. Yeah, so authentic representation. Absolutely, absolutely. But again, if you don't have, have that representation within the organization, make note of that too. Be honest. Yeah organization will respect that you're honest about it because that means that you're heading into a psychologically safe space. So if, if a diverse individual who is, would be, you know, the only one is going into an organization, they know they're going to be the only one and they know the organization is saying, Hey, you're going to be the only one, but this is what we're doing to make sure that you are, you know, can bring your authentic self to the organization every single day and that your ideas are going to be valued at the same level as anybody else. And you're going to have opportunities to have impact on this organization at your own. Uh, it's not to, again, that there's that also that risk of, you know, tokenizing somebody right. say, Oh, you know, you're going to have impact because we're going to use you for every commercial that we do for our Latino community. That's not necessarily the right way to go about it. Some people are okay with it, but the general consensus is that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, your reputation, you know, so when you think about from a marketing standpoint, it takes five to seven times for anybody to even recognize a, a brand, let alone for them to identify with it. Right. And so if they're just recognizing the name after five to seven times, then what do you have to do to not only create a brand of this is X company, but this is what it's like to work at this X company. And a lot of times word of mouth is going to be the best way to do that. So it means you got to make sure that people who are there are, you know, having a valued experience. Yeah. And I think that the sort of your employment reputation is something that 
we're seeing it more now with things like Glassdoor. You can start, you know, people mm-hmm. people are checking that now. They're using these reviews as they're mm-hmm. looking for their next career or if they're, you know, looking at an organization. And that, I think that's something that goes beyond sort of having that diversity statement on your website. Like, wh- you know, how are you known within uh, mm-hmm. various communities? And I think, you know, not that folks weren't checking into this before, but I think it's more important now mm-hmm. than than ever before because um, mm-hmm. people you know, are sort of fed up with, you know, performative statements. They're, you know, they're, they're checking out, like, is this company actually living up to, to what they're saying? Right. Yeah. There was a statistic that was at the conference last week that talked about um, there was a billion dollars that was claimed or, or declared for DEI efforts after the George Floyd murder. A year later, only 1% of that billion dollars, or was it $50 billion? I think it was $50 billion. Only 1% of that had actually been spent towards mm-hmm. DEI efforts a year later. Um, I think another thing that organizations can do, again, as we think about how can this be sustainable is, is what we're doing here, have a podcast. You know, again, going back to that with and what's in it for me, if there's a podcast, a recurring messaging that, adds value to people. Even if that organization is not the one I'm looking for, I'm going to say, hey, you know, so-and-so company has a really good podcast on best HR practices. You should check it out. So now as an HR professional that works at company Z, I'm just trying to get this content. But over time, as I understand like, oh, they've got really, so this has got to be a good place to work for. They have like, podcasts on all the best practices. I use everything that they talk about. Mm -hmm. When a position opens up, now they're actually on my radar. And so it's kind of that Hansel and Gretel type of what I call recruitment. So combining that marketing and that recruitment into one unified process. And, you know, if a brand that blogs generates 67% more leads, that's again, creating that pipeline based on your brand not just some flashy piece of paper that you're trying to get out there one time. So again, going into what's called attraction recruitment or my idea of recruitment. And then lastly is resources. Again, we talked about this is a journey. Every person is in a different space. Some organizations might want to do IDI, um, the Intercultural Diversity Index. Some organizations may want to start with that and so that they have a, a base where they are right now and where their leaders are right now and so that they you know can start to move forward other people may have already taken the idi or taken something similar so they kind of have an idea of where they are where they want to go there are a lot of people who are very new to this whole concept you know again we talked about you know networks and if my network looks all the same then this hasn't necessarily been a concern for me i would say that most people are not going to be compelled to move until something personally affects them mm-hmm. You know, when I, I didn't think anything, you know, about the LGBTQ community until I found out my sister was, was lesbian. You know, I, at first, I just thought they were, my parents were joking when they told me your sister's gay. I was like, <laughs> but they were like, they were serious. And my brother asked, how long did you know? And at that point, I knew it was real. And then I started to think about all the things that I might have said in the past or things that were just common you know, uses of words that 
are offensive to that community that I never even gave any thought to because it just didn't affect me or anybody that I knew. And in most cases, I would say people are going to be the same across the board. That's a human thing. But as people start to become exposed, they're going to need somewhere to go. You can't just throw, hey, you have to do unconscious bias and microaggressions and allyship and throw out this, you know, huge glossary of terms. That's a little bit overwhelming. You know, working with an organization, that was their statement. This is really good information. I just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do with all this. So what we did was we created a, a bank of resources yep. so that people could choose their own adventure. Like, okay, I get that. I'm ready to move forward on my next piece of knowledge. And then as allyship becomes a part of the culture within the organization, people are going to start to look for that information and they're going to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting my endurance up. You know, I, I can't right now. I, I couldn't go out and jog five miles. I couldn't do a 5K right now. No, me neither. You know, but if I start by walking and if, and, but I can't just walk one day and then in 10 weeks say, okay, I'm ready to run. Mm-hmm. It has consistent growth. So I have to put in the effort every single day and oh, every day I'll get a little bit better, but I have to push myself. You know, you don't build muscle by doing what you can do easily. Right. You have to rip the muscles and get uncomfortable before you can build your muscle and your endurance. So um, I think that's where those resources are going to come into making sure that your L&D team has everything they need. Organizations developing at least one person to focus on diversity trainings, making sure that the organization is connecting with community resources. Because again, you may not have the content in your four walls of your organization. So what are the other resources that you're in? Do you have partners? You know, do you have partners with, with the Black Chamber of Commerce or with the area diverse um, abilities organizations, with the VA? You know, do you have con- community relationships so that you can share that with your people so that they can continue on their journey. Those are my five R's of your, your Debbie or your diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I'd like to make sure that we put belonging on there because we can have, again, it goes back to that psychological safety. Yeah. And if I don't feel like my voice is going to be listened to, heard, valued, even though somebody's asking, if I don't feel like that's an authentic ask, because I don't feel like I belong, I'm not going to give it. And the organization loses. And so I think it's really critical to have that belonging as a part of this journey as well. I'm glad you said that. We've walked through the five R's and I was going to ask you before we closed, you know, what's one key thing that you'd like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? And I was wondering if that belonging piece is, is that and how it might relate a little bit to to those five R's because it feels like, it leads to sort of the recruitment, you know, piece. Do people feel like they belong or that they could belong there? Mm-hmm. Um, retention. Know, obviously, it, retention. Mm-hmm. The um, representation, mm-hmm. uh, reputation, and resources. So it sounds like that belonging piece might hold all of the five R's together. I would absolutely agree that belonging is like the, the umbrella under which all of the five R's would sit. 
ultimately the goal is so that, I mean, the goal for DEI is for the people to be able to feel comfortable bringing their full authentic self wherever they are at any given time. That means they belong. And some people may have either somehow acquired the skill and the mindset to belong no matter where they are, Mm -hmm. but that's not the majority. There are lingering effects of the history of this country that will permeate every you know people's current living existence and it will insert doubt and that's again where belonging and people being reinforced and affirmed in their organizations and in different groups where they are the only one or where their perspective is the only one because again in order to see the same, you know, one thing 100%, you have to have 360 degrees of perspective. And oftentimes organizations that have a 90% uh, homogeneity, they're missing that other, they're missing 90%. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. I don't think I could, you know, sort of top off, top off what we've just um I've just wrapped up our conversation today. Kwabana, for those who are interested in learning more about you and your work or want to keep up with you, where can they go? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn, Kwabana Marcus J. Collins. It's K-O-B-E-N-A hyphen M-A-R-C-U-S. Middle initial is J. Last name is Collins. C-O-L-L-I-N-S. Perfect. I'm here every day. <laughs> yes, and we'll make sure that we've got Kwabana's LinkedIn handle as well in, in our show notes. I can't thank you enough for chatting with me today and for sharing um, the five R's and, and really for sort of wrapping up the conversation so nicely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you continue to keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is a tremendous resource to anybody who's looking to be engaged in this space. I appreciate that. And for those listening, if you have any of your own questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, and this is Just One Cue.